0: And happy Fourth of July to all of you. Would you stand? Let's sing together. prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we truly thank you. We thank you as we celebrate today for the freedoms that we have in this country. Lord, we think of the people who have fought the fight to protect that freedom for men and women in uniform who who are out there today, even now, protecting us. We thank you for them and we pray for them. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have, but Lord, we remember that freedom is not free. Lord, lives have been lost for our political freedom. Lord, your life was lost for our spiritual freedom. And Lord, we remember that today. We thank you, Lord, for the life that you have given up, that we could have true freedom. Heavenly Father, as we come together today, as we study your word, as, as we look into it, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would use it in our lives to bring glory to yourself that as our hearts look into your word, that our lives may be changed in accordance to it. We thank you and we praise you for who you are, for what you have done for us, and for who you and for what you will do in the future. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: It's good to have you in our service. It's good to be together on this 4th of July. I know there are many, many different things that are tugging at your life. And um, on a fourth, it uh, is a day to be together with family and friends. But when fourth falls on Sunday, it's wonderful to see so many people that have the priority in their life to be here in the Lord's house, to study His word, to sing His praises. And to it glorify is Him. wonderful to live in this land that we call our home, the United States of America. What a gift of God's grace to allow us to be born. Maybe you weren't born in this country, but you made your way to this country. And to live in this land that we call home, to have the freedoms that we so enjoy, that we so cherish, and to be able to gather together in freedom to worship our Lord. I want to take just a minute in our service today and to honor some of you who are members of our congregation, Um, just to say thank you to you. If you have served in the armed forces, would you please stand? We would like to say thank you to you for your service to the country. Thank you very much. How about, how about some of you that have served as, uh, as police officers, um, or on EMS, or fire departments, those kind of things, would you stand You are a big part of keeping our community safe, and we want to thank you. And also, again, this year, we asked some representatives of the the, uh, police forces in our community to come down and be with us this morning. Guys, if you could come forward, we'd like to have you all come up here on the stage and say a thank you to the men and the women in our community who serve our community, patrol our streets, are out day and night to keep us safe. They are a blessing to us, and in a day and an age when uh, policing has fallen on hard times, we as a church want to just say to these men and also women who are representatives of the force, we want to say a big thank you to them. So let's say thank you to them. We have Austin, who is a highway patrolman, who's a member of our church. And uh, it's good to have Austin here. And um, what we did this last year, we got some gift certificates for down at Heggs. Uh, this year, we did the Red Baron. <laughs> so, Austin, if you'll pass these on. And keep one for yourself to other members of the Highway Patrol. And then Shane, here's some as well for the uh, county officers, just for you guys to be able to take your spouse and go get a milkshake. And uh, <laughs> we didn't buy anything at the donut shop, sorry. We bought it all. That'll get me pulled over later. Okay, <laughs> let's take a minute here and let's visit with Shane. Young people. Um, you know, a lot of us old fogies drive like old fogies, so if anything, we get pulled over for going too slow. But some of you young people, you're a little heavy on the foot feed sometimes, and uh, you may get pulled over someday. And let's say you do. Kids, number one, that's not a time to be cocky and to be an idiot and show who you are, right? That's not the time. And so let's just take a second and ask Shane to just run through a stop let's say you're going to get pulled over young person and um, Shane, what would you like to see? Matt, you got a handheld there. Um, Shane, can you get us the handheld on? I'm going to give this to, to our sheriff and just have him talk to you about some things, kids, that you may want to know that uh, would help things go a little better for you and maybe get you a warning instead of get the book thrown at you.
2: Very good, yeah. Well, that's that's really the key there. To, um, so. I'll start by saying that I'm I'm sure this is kind of a moot point because I don't think any kids in here are going to get pulled over in the case that you're riding with somebody that doesn't have as good a judgment as you um, first of all I I guess what I would say from a law enforcement standpoint is our main goal is safety it's not about punishment it's not about um, showing who's got the authority it's about safety for the for the public and so that that's our role and when we do a traffic stop that's our idea is to get people to to drive at a safer speed for the for the safety of them and anybody else on the road and if you've been on highway 89 lately it's 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 a problem so that that's our goal is to slow it down a respectful um, interaction is what we always hope for and and our guys and law enforcement in general should always be courteous and should always um, handle it in that way it can go south if you've ever been on youtube you've probably seen that happen before that's certainly we don't want any Utah, youtube stars on the sheriff's office and i <laughs> i think the highway patrol has the same policy so um but again the the goal the goal is safety and the the other thing i would say is oftentimes there is a difference of opinion of what happened and there is a forum to make sure that the right thing happens and that's why we have the judicial system that you have the ability to show up and say hey I feel like this is what happened and this is why it happened and you have that opportunity that um, usually doesn't happen right there on the side of the street so if it doesn't go the way that you want there is that opportunity and I would encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity as well to to make sure that your side of that story is heard if it's something that you don't agree with 99% ninety nine percent of the time it's a very um cordial interaction with a with the warning sometimes of uh in the written form and so um I I would just say uh again re- remember that the goal is that it's it's for the safety of the community. And if I if I can just mention something the the timing is really good because this, this Thursday at the bowling alley in Afton we're actually hosting an event, the uh, Lincoln County Peace Officer foundation for bowling with children so we'll have officers there we'll put together teams of kids that show up kind of that elementary late elementary to high school range and we hope to have a good showing there and and uh... be able to interact because at the end of the day we're just members of the community like everybody else we we go home to our families like everybody else we attend church and schools and and uh... neighborhood events like everybody else just when we put on the uniform we take on a little different role so
3: Thank you, guys, for coming. Let's give all. Let's give these men another hand. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well, it's good to have the men with us, and to hear that, and uh, to be reminded of those things. Uh, This highway is just getting like ridiculous, isn't it? It's just unbelievable how much traffic has been on it this summer, and I know some of you that are visiting, you don't think it's bad, but for us who live here, it's bad. We don't like to pull up on a side street and have to sit there for 10 minutes to get on the highway. Anyway, but we're glad you're here. Spend your money while you're visiting. Okay. I had too much coffee, I think, this morning. Okay, let's... uh, Um, move along to something else. On Tuesday, we had a luncheon following the service for Gene and Daryl Benshoof, and Dave Moore and I were sitting there eating, and uh, Dave was talking about how difficult it is as we lose members of our congregation. And um, lost a dear friend. This morning, Howard Johnston went home to be with the Lord, and uh, so let's pray for Sue and that whole family, that God is with them uh, during these days. Pray specifically for Sue. Howard died last night at 8. Actually, I said this morning, last night at 8. And then Sue has contracted the COVID and had to go into the hospital um, to the emergency room. She, I believe, is home now. Um but that's going to complicate things. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you informed through flock notes as to what's going on. Uh, I was planning to leave to head down there tomorrow to do the funeral, but now with the COVID, they're in St. George. So now with the COVID, don't quite know how that's going to play out. So we will keep you informed so that you're abreast of that. Um, but let's pray for Sue, pray for the entire family. Had a great visit with Sue yesterday and, uh, you know, as difficult as it is to know that Howard is with the Lord, brings us great peace and comfort. We're going to celebrate together the Lord's table. And as we do so, we're going to do it like we always do and um, have done since the COVID. We have not been passing the plates to you. We have allowed people to go and serve themselves Part of that was because we were pretty socially distanced at the time and it was pretty easy. Today it looks like it could be a knockdown, dragdown fight. <laughs> Hopefully not. There are plates at the front and in the back. So, what I'd like to do is, um, as we serve ourselves, let's send a representative of either your family group or your pew. Countdown, you know, and and, and go and get enough for everybody. Come back and send them down um, while the piano is being played. And then we'll come and and partake together as we remember. If you're visiting with us, we always like to stress, this is the Lord's table. It's not the table of Emmanuel Bible Church. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and you are in fellowship with Him, we invite you to partake with us. And uh, so you feel free to do so as you examine yourself before the Lord. I was thinking on this 4th of July weekend, we celebrate the independence that we were given at great cost, as Matt prayed this morning, um, by men and women through now several hundred years. And that was declared in a declaration I hope you've read the Declaration of Independence sometime in your life. If you haven't, do it again. But that declaration had to be won on the battlefield, didn't it? And then it falls on every succeeding generation to guard it, to keep it. So it is in Christ. God declared our freedom in His Word, looking forward to what Christ would do in the Old Covenant. On the cross, Jesus battled against sin and the devil, and He won the victory. He rose triumphant from the grave. And then Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not be entangled again in a yoke of bondage. We must guard it. So if you know Christ is your Savior, or endeavoring to live a life of obedience unto Him, we invite you to partake with us. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have the piano played. And while we do so, as I said, if you would, send a representative of either your aisle or your family group and uh, get to... The, the elements for you and return. If you're kind of towards the back portion, go to the back. If you're here, there should be plenty of cups um, in, the, in the plates. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are triumphant over the grave, that death cannot hold us because it could not hold you. We thank you for the promise in your word that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so, Lord, we rejoice to know that Howard is experiencing in your present great gain. And yet, Lord, we will miss him as well as our loved ones who go before us. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray, Maranatha, come quickly. Receive us to Yourself. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took the bread. After he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
0: I'm going to ask you to stand back up. We, we live in a great country, but it's really the great God that we serve that has given us the great country that we live in. And so we sing together and praise him.
1: We're going to continue our study in the book of Romans chapter 9, in Romans chapter 9. Today we are talking about the potter's right. We're going to begin reading in verse 14.'re going to read through verse 24. Once again, this is a difficult message. This is not uh, fluff. This is deep stuff we have to wrestle with. We think about the character, the nature of our great God. What He says in His Word about Himself, who He is, and about His sovereignty. We've talked about unconditional election. The foundation for that being laid in verse 11 when He said, Though they were not yet born speaking of Isaac and Rebekah's children, Jacob and Esau. They had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election or choice, that's the word, purpose of choice, His choice, might continue. Not because of anyone's works, but because of the one calls. Notice what he says in verse 14. What shall we then say? Is God unjust? Is God unjust? Is God not fair? By no means. A categorical denial of that. By no means is God unjust. Why is He not unjust? Because anything we get besides hell is mercy. And mercy and justice are not the same thing. Well, he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human's will or exertion. It depends on God. He is the one who shows the mercy. For the Scripture also says to Pharaoh, it was for this very purpose I raised you up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth through the ten plagues, the destruction of Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. That story is still proclaimed in all the earth. It still shows his power. So then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And we read that last week and we swallowed big. That's a tough verse. And from that verse, the next question foreseeing our objection to that. We hear of unconditional election, we immediately in our natural mind are going to object. We're going to say that's not fair. When we hear that God says, I have mercy on whomever I will and whomever I will I harden, we again object to that. Our natural mind says, no, that's not right. If God is that way, then you will say to me, why does he still find fault? Why does he hold us accountable? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Who do you think you are, O man, to talk back to God? Will the thing that is molded say to its molder, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have right, authority over the clay? to make out of the same lump of clay one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, even us who prayed the sinner's prayer and called on him. I'm not saying that's not important. It is. You got to do that. But where does it all start? Even on us, whom He has called, not just out of the Jews, but also out of all the nations. Let's look to the Lord in order to Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Your ways and your thoughts are above our ways and our thoughts. We would make you like us. We would tear you down from your throne. We would worship a God of our own making, a figment of our imagination. A God that fits into our preconceived notions, and yet you shatter them in these verses, and you tell us, You are not like us. Father, help us to leave you on the throne. To be content with some of these mysteries that we will not solve this morning. To ask questions of you in the right way, not accusing you, but looking to you in faith. Father, I pray at the outset that if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, that this would not be an occasion in their heart of hardening. But that, Father, on the other hand, it would be an occasion on which you show them mercy, as you did for me and for many in this room. Holy Spirit, We need you to regenerate, to bring salvation. This is your gift. We ask you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. By way of review, last week we looked at three sharp contrasts in the verses. We talked about Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael being the son of the flesh, Isaac being the son of promise. We talked about Jacob and Esau, Jacob being the younger, Esau being the older, nevertheless, Esau serving the younger by God's choice. We saw Egypt, we saw Israel. We saw love, we saw hate, we saw mercy, justice. We wrestled with all those things. Today, we continue talking about these objections. In verse 14, the natural mind says God is not fair. In verse 19, we assert God should not hold us accountable. That's really the heart of the question. When he says here, you will say to me then," as a result of what I just said, He shows mercy to whom he will, and whom he will he hardens. As a result of what I just said, you will then say to me, why does God find fault? For who has resisted his will. What does it mean that God's will is irresistible when we think of it in this context? As we go through these verses, I just kind of want to develop four things quickly for us to think about. I'll tell you now, we're not going to solve the dilemma, right? Bigger brains than mine or yours have wrestled with this for hundreds of years. We will not solve it today. Hopefully, at the end of the message, we come to a place as an individual of just settled peace with it. Looking to our Father in trust. That's my hope. My hope is not some intellectual exercise that's going to finally unravel the mystery. We're not going there. We're not going to do that. We're not going to get there. My hope, my prayer, is that you and your heart will simply settle in peace and to look to this God in faith, to trust Him, even in the mystery. So, we're going to look at this objection This objection that the Holy Spirit foresees, and He sees it's in every one of our hearts, okay, it's not like you're the only one who has ever thought this question. No, the Holy Spirit foresees that all of us are going to think of this question. You will say to me. We're going to then look at some questions that are posed by Paul back to us. Obviously, that's the Holy Spirit is posing questions back to us. Who are you? Who do you think you are to talk back to God? I'll tell you what. There was one thing that I knew when I was a kid, I was going to get a licking for it, and that was to talk back to who? Mama, right? You talk back to mom, dad's going to take you to the woodshed. Kids, talk back to mom, you deserve to go to the woodshed. Okay? Don't talk back. There is a way to ask a question appropriately. There's another way to ask a question that is just talking back. That is what he's dealing with here. He then presents a mystery. He does it in a question. What if God? What if God was wanting to do something? He doesn't explain what God is wanting to do here, but he raises a question. He's wanting us to think. He's wanting us to think about a mystery we're never going to solve, and he does so by asking this question, what if God... And we'll close with no explanation given. Just some truths expounded. Let's think about the irresistible will of God. Who has resisted God's will? You're sitting there and you're saying, Me? (laughs) I have. Have you? Have you ever had God speak to you in your heart and you said no? I'll put my hand up. I have. I can remember many times. What was I doing? I was resisting God's will. So what does he mean here when he says, who has resisted God's will? Here's what he's really meaning by that. James chapter 4 says this. You will say, oh man, I'm going to move to such and such a city. I'm going to live there for a year. I'm going to make a lot of money and have a lot of gain. But who are you to say that? You don't even know what tomorrow holds. Your life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, it vanishes away. It's like the morning dew that burns off. So what should you say? If the Lord wills, number one, if the Lord wills, I'm sucking wind tomorrow. If he doesn't will it, I'm not. And I can't change that. That part of God's will is completely what? Irresistible. My life. He gave it to me. He sustains it. The Lord wills. We will live. And we will do this or that. When I was younger, it always felt kind of like phony to say, Lord willing, you know, I'm going to do this Lord willing. I just kind of, it just, I felt like I was just trying to be spiritual. It kind of felt phony. You know, the older I got, the better I am with that, and the more at peace I am with that, and the more I even throw it in with people who don't know the Lord. Talking about something, well, Lord willing. Lord willing. Now, let's think about something. When we think about God's will and it being irresistible, what we are really talking about is this. You and I can resist God's will on a certain level. But you can never resist God's will to your advantage. And you can never resist God's will successfully. Your heart may not be right with him, and your heart may resist him, but that will never bring any advantage to you, and you will never ultimately be successful in it. You know what it brings? A lot of turmoil and a lot of misery. If, on the other hand, let's just think about this. We're going to see this developed in these verses. God is forming me. God is forming you. He is forming us into a person He desires us to be for His glory. If I faithfully and humbly receive that grace and submit to His will, I will be a vessel for honor if I turn my back on it and I harden myself and I resist it, God will still have His way. But I will not be a vessel of honor. I will be one of dishonor. Faithfully and humbly. This mystery of God's will is developed through Scripture in people like Judas who betrayed the Lord had him killed and he did so as it had been written of him and prophesied in the Old Testament but the Lord also said woe to that man who does it. Human responsibility, accountability. And so there is an objection foreseen. God's will is irresistible. What I want us to think about here is these questions that are being posed. He does so by coming back and he says, But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder? And I want you to notice this extended metaphor. Concerning ceramics and pottery. Well, what is molded or formed, this individual is forming on the wheel a pot that they have imagined. They are forming it. They are molding it. Will what is molded say to its molder, why did you make me like this? Has the potter no authority over the clay? Of course it does. And out of that same lump, it can make one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Consider this extended metaphor. Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? That immediately makes me think of Job. Remember Job? I'll see the book. He's interacting with his friends, and then he's interacting with God. And as he's interacting with God, he's almost raising accusations against God. And finally, at the end of the book, God speaks to Job. And he says, Where were you when I made the earth? When I did this, when I did that, where were you, you man of dust? We need to answer back to God. The potter, pottery. A well-known profession in the ancient world, every village, every town, every community had potters. The most common vessels that were used in the ancient world were made this way. There were other ways that vessels were made, but these were common. Still today, the technology has not changed that much. It's one of the few things in our world that the technology is basically the same. The person who is a potter is a skilled artisan. They have a plan in their mind. Like anyone who is an artist, musicians who compose music, A painter, a sculptor, a potter, something in mind. And from what is in the mind, the individual forms a vessel for usage. Clay. What is clay? This is a definition by the ceramic society. It's their definition of what clay is. Clay is a fine grained rock which, when suitably crushed and pulverized, becomes plastic when wet, leather hard when dried, and then, when it is fired, it is converted into a permanent rock like mass. The word potter in the Greek language is the word keramikos, from which we get the English word ceramic. Someone who works with clay, he forms it. Notice that word to mold. It says that in verse 20, will what is molded say to its molder? The Greek word that stands behind that word to mold is the Greek word from which we get the English word Plastic. He talks about the lump. He talks about a vessel. He talks about clay. Now what happens here? Someone has to harvest clay, that clay is then crushed. It is put into a slurry, slurry is produced by the addition of water, the excess water is removed, it is allowed to stand in what is called a plastic state. And in that state, it ages for several days. Then the lumps, or what they call the pugs, which the individual who is working, it takes out and forms a lump, much like what you ladies do when you form a lump of dough. The pugs are laid aside appropriate to the vessel that is to be built. It is then wedged. The wedging is the kneading of the clay, like bread, and it is kneaded in order to remove all the air from the dough. Because if there is air in it, when it is fired, it turns to steam, and it blows it. So, all the air is removed in a kneading process. A vessel is then created on the wheel, it can be decorated, it can be adorned, We've all seen ceramics that are beautifully adorned. And then it is fired in a kiln at which time it is finished and becomes hard like rock. This is the process. The quality of pottery depends on two things. One is the quality of the clay. The other is the skill of the potter. Those things determine what it becomes. God forms man. It tells us in the book of Genesis that God took the dust of the earth and he formed it. In the Septuagint, the Greek word is plastic. He formed it. He made it into what he wanted it to be. The work of the potter. Consider some places in Scripture that talks about the work of the potter. Very similar to what we have just read in the book of Isaiah. In 45, verse 9, he says, Woe to the one who argues with his maker! One clay pot among many. Does clay say to the one who forms it, What are you making? Where does your work say he has no hands? Similarly, how absurd is the one who says to his father, what are you fathering? Or to his mother, what are you giving birth to? And so God is forming us. In the book of Jeremiah, it says this. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went to the potter's house. And there he was. He was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from clay became flawed in the potter's hands. So he made it into another jar. As it seemed, what? Just like we saw in the book of Romans. Right. For him to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, House of Israel. House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, House of Israel. At one moment I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom. And God could announce this about America. Don't fool ourselves. And he is the potter and he is the right. At one moment, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, I will tear it down, and I will destroy it. However if that nation that i have made an announcement about notice this working together of human responsibility if that nation will repent and turn from its evil i will relent concerning the disaster i had planned to do to it at another time i announced that i will build and plant a nation or a kingdom However, if it does what is evil in my sight, by not listening to my voice, I will relent concerning the good that I said I would do to it. And then he says this, so now to the men of Judah, to the residents of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. I am about to bring harm to you. I am making plans against you. Turn. Turn now each from your evil ways and correct your ways and your deeds. But they will say, it's hopeless. We will keep following our plans. And each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of whose heart? His own. Potter's hand. God is forming me into the person he desires me to be. Young person, God is forming you into the person he desires you to be for his glory. Humbly and faithfully submit. And you will be blessed. Turn. You won't. End of story. You will never thwart God's plan. And be successful. Never. And so then there is a mystery. That is presented. He does so in verse twenty two when he says, "What if God, desiring to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath that were prepared for destruction? What if why, why, why what if this mystery? maybe that's why evil is here to Endure with much patience in order that God could make known, notice this, the riches of his glory, not for good people. For who? Vessels of mercy. Vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. What if? The Mysteries of Evil. I read this week the story of a young Christian woman, Rachel Parker. Her grandpappy was the founder of the Texas Baptist Associations. Strong Calvinistic preachers, it went to the frontier in the 1830s. They built the Parker Fort right on the boundaries of where the Comanches were. It was a big clan. They built the fort together. They worked the land. They settled it. They were happy. It was home. It was manifest destiny, sea to shining sea. And one day the Comanches came. It was ugly. Five men died very quickly. Others died very sadistically. Rachel, Young married woman, Christian woman like you. Ladies, put yourself in these shoes. Taken captive. Her and her sister, seven year old son, brutally tortured and murdered, not knowing yet what had happened to husband. Taken on horseback. 30-some miles to put distance between them in the fort. Her and her sister, risking a little bit of TMI here, stripped, violated by gangs of men, beaten, hands tied behind her backs, laid in the sagebrush, and beaten for hours, to where she said she would try to lift her head to suck wind. She was four months pregnant. She was sold into slavery and was made to cure buffalo hides. Time came, child was born, She carried the child, a boy she loved. And when the child was seven months old, the men of the tribe decided it should no longer be hers. They came into the teepee where she stayed. They took it from her, and they strangled the life from it in front of her. They gave it back to her, and the child took a gasp. They took it back. They tied it behind a horse and they drug it through the sagebrush until it was completely dismembered. <sighs> a Christian like you, how do you deal with that? I read that and I said, how in the world do you not go insane? How do you not sit in your teepee at night and say, God, why? What in the world did I do? Why didn't you just kill me? Why? You know what? There is no answer. I have no idea except to say this. What if what if in Rachel's heart she humbled herself under the hand of a sovereign God and she says, I have no idea what you're doing, but I'm going to trust you. So that your mercy stands in sharp contrast with all this hate and evil that I am seeing. So that in the ages and ages to come I am seen and my child is seen as a vessel of your mercy. What if? I don't know. There is no explanation. It happens today. It's in the news. We have Jewish holocausts. We have ethnic cleansing. We have evil. Don't kid yourself. There is real evil in this world. And it resides in the heart of men. There is a God of mercy. I'm going to close with a story I told last year, and I'm going to close with this. It won't take me a second, and then we'll be done, and we'll go light our fireworks later today. I told you the story last year about Corey ten Boom, who suffered immensely in the concentration camps. He was a born-again Christian who hid Jewish people. She would go with her father on trains into the city to do work on watches and clocks. He was a watchmaker. When she was a little girl, she would go with him. And I want to read what she has to say because I think in the concentration camp, this had to mean a lot to her. She said, oftentimes I would use the trip home to bring up things that were troubling me since anything I asked at home was promptly answered by the ants." Once, I must have been 10 or 11, I asked Father about a poem we had read at school the winter before. One line had described a young man, a young man whose face was not shadowed by sex sin. I had been far too shy to ask the teacher what it meant. And Mama had blushed scarlet when I asked her. In those days, things like that were never discussed. So the line stuck in my head, sex. I was pretty sure that meant something about being a boy or a girl. And sin, that always made Aunt John very angry. But what the two together meant I could never imagine. And so seated next to Father in the train compartment, I suddenly asked Father, Father, what is sex in? He turned and looked at me. He always did when answering a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. At last he stood up. He lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads and he set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey? I stood up. I tugged at it. It was crammed with watches and spare parts. It's too heavy, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. And I was satisfied. More than satisfied, I was wonderfully at peace. There were answers to this and all my hard questions, but for now... I was content to leave them in my Father's keeping. My Father's keeping. Ultimately, there are things in these verses that are too heavy for us to carry. We must leave them in faith in our Father's care. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy for us to question what you're doing when we are on the wheel. And you are molding and you are shaping. And it's not very pleasant and it's pretty difficult. And then you put us in the kiln where we are fired. And you refine us. That we might be vessels that are of worth to you to be honorably used. Lord, help us as individuals not to just settle into the arguments and the answering backs. Help us to rest in faith in the hand of a Father who carries the load we can't understand. And so I pray In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Would you stand together as we sing our closing song? That is faith. Lord, together we bow the knee before you because you are a great God and you are a merciful God. And Lord, you extend your mercy to all who are here today. You have extended your mercy to them. You have given them the plan of salvation. Lord, may those who maybe heard this for the first time, may they too bow the knee. Lord, we pray, Lord that you would help us to be light in the darkness, that as we leave this place today, Lord, that you would help us not, not to just go about our day not thinking about you, but, Lord, to help lead others that they too may bow the knee. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.